All right, let's go. I don't know if that's working. No, it has to go. There's that, the speakers are down there, right? Yeah, true. So that, that, <laughs> that was the worst. If you're yeah. if you're a fan, you know what that means. If you're not, or you're in the room by accident, you're suddenly very confused. Yeah. So um, we just got moved to this room. So hopefully, we're not like supplanting something else that was supposed to happen in here. Um, but this is Food Safety Talk, which is a podcast on the internet um, that you can find on on your phone. And as uh, Don alluded to, this, which I'm going to play again because I, now, now I think it might work better. I got to fade it. That's, that's our theme song. And that was like the most janky way that I think we've ever, ever played it. Um, so uh, anyway, I apologize for that. But I thought it was, uh, it was fitting. It was the right way to, to start this. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, well, actually, let's, let's start with the audience participation. How many of you have heard of Food Safety Talk before? No, 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 no. He's, do, he's not doing it right. He's, stop. Okay, sorry. Stop, stop. Did I do that wrong? How many of you have ever heard of a thing <laughs> called a podcast? Fair enough. Okay. okay. For, for, the, for those that are listening and not watching live, 90% of the room raised their hands. Okay. All right. So next question. How many of you have ever listened to a podcast? Oh, and again, most everybody's hand. Maybe, two, maybe these are the wrong questions now. No, no. Um, see, like two years ago, before the last time we actually did one of these in person, it was like 20% would put their hands up for that. So I think over the course of the pandemic, oh, well, maybe people here, have been listening to Good follow-up question. How many of you listened to your first podcast during the pandemic? Oh, see, but oh, these are, no, these are experienced podcasting yeah. people. Okay. How many people listen to our podcast... Food safety talk, not counting today. Oh, see, no, so there's room. There we so go. So we've got, we got room to grow here. Grow the audience share, the market share, the room share. What do we, we're, that's a different thing. Yeah, I think we're, <laughs> we're trying to monetize this. So um, if you could just, I don't know, leave like $5 when you leave, <laughs> um, that'd, be, that'd be great. No, <laughs> no um, so we, we joke, everything is in jest. Don and I do this uh, podcast every couple of weeks. And actually now, since the last time we did this in person, we have another podcast called Risky or Not, um, which is a little, little different. What Food Safety Talk's all about is the two of us, every two weeks or so, get together um, virtually, uh, which was funnier two and a half years ago, um, and talk to each other on the internet and record it about things that are going on in, in food safety. And right around the start of um, the uh, pandemic in 2020, we launched this second podcast called Risky or Not, which is a, a little different take in, in what, what we were challenged by some of, the, some of our friends in the podcasting world to do was instead of just pontificate for two hours, which is what a food safety talk episode is, really the first, for those of you who've never listened, the first 30 or so minutes are basically what Don and I are watching on TV. Um, and then if someone is like 
working in our house. Not like working from home in our house, but like if something's getting fixed in our house, we talk about that. And then we spend um, maybe an hour talking about food safety things. Uh, and, then, uh, and then afterwards, and this is an Easter egg for those who are here, and I guess those who are listening to this live episode, if you ever listen to the end of the, um, I guess, outro music that we have, which is uh, also Neil Young's Hey Hey My My, afterwards you get another bonus content, 10 minutes of Don and I scheduling our next food safety talk. That's, oh, I, I would say it is for that package of two hours of that content is for select few. So we were challenged to come up with shorter, one question, is this thing risky or not? And so we've now done about 300 and something, 20, 60? 313 three, have been released. Yeah, of, of risky or not. Um, and so this, this, today is a little bit new for us because I think we're gonna do what um, uh, someone told me yesterday was like a 90s crossover of both food safety talk and risky or not. So we'll, we'll like talk a little bit and, and do some of the stuff that we normally do, but I think there's microphones. Well, there's a microphone stand over there. So I'm, I'm sure that there's probably a microphone that goes with that somewhere. Um, <laughs> uh, but what we'd like to do is, is get some questions and, and we'll try to, try to answer some risky or not stuff as we, as we go on. And, and you know, just to, not to put her on the spot, but Daphne, who's sitting in the back of the room running the computer, Daphne, you could load in another, another tab on that browser. You because that's we don't we're not controlling that computer. It's actually Daphne controlling that. She could load uh, riskyornot.co.co, um, and then you guys can see what that page looks like. Yeah, <laughs> on this computer. So. Um, when, when Don and I do these, these things in person, for those who, we, Look at that. Uh, awesome. Um, so we, we kind of, you know, it, it's great to hear that, um, that people are listening to our podcast. It's very, it's very cool. It's very, it's very odd and humbling um, for a couple of reasons. One is, and we've both had this experience with people that we know from podcasts that we listen to as well. Every once in a while, you'll run into somebody who you've never met before, and then they know you because they hear this conversation that happens for a couple hours every, every couple of weeks. And it's, and it's a weird, like everyone's awkward in this situation because someone's like, hey, I know you, Ben, I know about this. Hey, how are your kids doing? Um, what, how's your hockey team? Um, all, you know, things that we talk about. Uh, and I'm like, hey, I, I know that you know me from a podcast, but I don't, I, I don't I, listen to your podcast. I don't know you, yeah. And, <laughs> And I'm saying that in a, in a very like nice way. It's it's a really humbling experience because what one of the things that I think Don and I both um, experienced over the last we've been doing uh, food safety talk now for almost a decade is that we've built these relationships with people because they're listening to our to our voice and then we interact on social media and, and by email and it's a really cool connection to people who we would never um, probably have met before and so it's it's just I you know. I always want to, when we connect with people and see people in person like this, I always just kind of want to thank everybody, first of all, for listening, but also for being really comfortable in those awkward situations when we're, when we're meeting each other. Because it is a very, um, it's a very cool experience for, for us to be able to meet people that, that listen to us. And then engage in conversations, um, and it often goes like this. 
hey, I download your podcast, but I don't always listen to them, and I'm like 30 episodes behind, so let's talk about something from 18 months ago. Uh, and, and it's cool, because it, it, it's it, like, it, our, our stuff, and I think that one thing that I've really valued is our stuff has some, some staying power, and some of the things that we've talked about just keep coming up over and over again, whether that's like warning letters that FDA puts out, or, um, uh, situations with uh, companies and firms that have outbreaks and multiple problems over over multiple years. We have this like historical repository of of stuff that we <laughs> of, that stuff, we of stuff we commented on that maybe later we found out we're wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Somewhere there's a podcast recording of me talking about um, this uh, novel coronavirus in early 2000 or to early 2020, saying, "Yeah, I don't think it's going to be too bad. I think it's going to be like the flu." Yeah. So, uh, I, I, obviously, I was wrong about that. So, you know, when I when I, so one of the, so the photographer came up to us <clears throat> before before he's like, I, I don't want you guys to freak out. I'm going to be taking your photos, and we're like, well, this is a podcast, right? Like, you realize this is an audio medium. It's not really doesn't really lend itself to photography. But uh, he was dutifully uh, snapping snapping pictures of us sitting here looking at our computers, which is what we look like when we're doing a podcast. The the one. <clears throat> It's a little different <clears throat> about how um, we're doing this today is that we, if we wanted to, we could look at each other. Um, we, we typically, we used to record these via um, Skype and now we record them via Zoom, but we never turn our cameras on. In fact, funny story, like the first time, after Ben and I had been doing Food Safety Talk for a pretty long time, we met for the first time in person in a while and it was really weird, like we couldn't actually look at each other. We've gotten over that weird, <laughs> that weird phobia, but now we don't have to, we can just look at all of you and we don't have to look at each other. But So one of the things that when we're doing a podcast is we're literally both each of us sitting in front of our computers with tabs open. Um, when I open my browser right now, Ben, I had a tab opened up. Do you know what it said in the tab? I, I, no, but, and I won't even cheat by looking over um, to, to see it, but it's what time is it right now oh. in Phoenix, Arizona? Yes. Because here's the thing. I dutifully put in all of my sessions. I check what Arizona's on, Phoenix is on mountain time, right? Dutifully put in everything. And then discovered today that somehow everything was off by an hour because it's on mountain standard time which is California time, which is plus three hours, which I do that math all the time because I'm always talking to people on the West Coast. So anyway, um, in case anybody is wondering what time it is, you, you all know what time it is because you came to this session and you, and you were here on time. So uh, apologies to anybody who was here an hour earlier because they thought it was mountain uh, savings time. Is that what yeah, you call mountain, it? Mountain, mountain savings time? That sounds like the name of a bank. Yeah, yeah the fifth, third <laughs> mountain savings bank. Um, yeah. Uh, so, being that we're in Arizona, um, it's, it's a dry heat. Ben. It's a dry heat. That's I've heard that. I've yes, it's still really it's hot. Still, even at 115 degrees, it's extremely dry. Uh, so, we uh, every once in a while we get emails or uh, or someone hits us up on social media about something that we may or may not have seen, and and it's always kind of this this cool situation where it's like, hey, what do you? What do you think about this? What do you What do you guys think about it? And so there's some local content, and I haven't told Don about this yet. Um, what What I want to talk about, but this this came from I mean text today, and I I feel very fortunate to be in a group text um, uh, that is as steamed as this one, which is with Don, me, and Don's two sons. <laughs> so 
Um, and I've not met his, I met one of his kids, but I've not met, met the other one. But I know they're both off and on listeners to, to our podcast. So anyway, we, we, um, uh, the text was um, about a restaurant where, um, and I, I'm just going to read uh, the headline to this. Um, and then I'm going to give you some more information. Restaurant encourages patrons to lick its Himalayan salt wall. Okay, so you might have seen this on the internet. Here's the coolest part about this. It's 20 miles from where we are right now. So we might have to go do a, you know, on location reporting. So let me read, um, as we do, this is the other thing about our podcast. A lot of it is just like two white guys reading from the internet. So please bear with us. It's a common podcast trope. Yeah. The Mission, a popular restaurant in Scottsdale, Arizona, where... I'll editorialize a little bit, where there's a dry heat, um, has been getting a lot of attention for encouraging visitors to literally lick a wall made of pink Himalayan salt. Okay? Um, so this has been going on for, for 17 years, according to the article here in um, oddityscentral.com. Um, and there's some nice pictures. It is, uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll describe this to you what I'm, what I'm looking at. It's probably a 10 foot by 4 foot wall of Himal pink Himalayan salt blocks. Um, <laughs> when would you eat, when would you lick this? Because I had to read more into this uh, to find out why people are doing this. Well, according to uh, a, a news source, the head chef was the one who brought the salt rocks in to add the, to the overall ambience of the place and to give patrons a new way of enjoying their tequila shots. Suck on a lime, lick the wall, and down the shot. At least that was the original idea, but people started licking it whether they were drinking tequila or not. So, Don, just to get you in the flavor of what we do on our podcast, let me pose this question to you. Licking the wall at the mission, risky or not? Well, you know, when we first started doing this risky or not podcast... <clears throat> I was worried that we would not have enough ideas for the podcast. <laughs> um, we've, got a, we've got enough ideas. People keep sending ideas. We're doing them as fast as we can, and by as fast as I, we can, I mean like three times a week. We put them out. Um, and we've actually, uh, we, 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 we haven't covered, we haven't ever covered the same thing twice by mistake, which can happen, but, and, and it gets getting, with 300 plus episodes, it's sometimes hard to keep straight in your head like what you have and what you haven't done or what you thought you might do. Um, we have covered Himalayan salt, okay, before on the podcast. We have covered, covered licking things. <laughs> we have not covered licking a Himalayan salt wall. Um, but I believe that, and, and what, you know, what we also, one of the really interesting things is like, you know, and so for those of you who are not familiar with the premise of the show, it's, it's right there on the slide with the wonderful artwork by uh, the wonderful artist Kevin Budnick, who drew exactly what <laughs> we asked him to do. Um, so the, the, the theme of the show, Risky or Not, is um, it's sort of like Siskel and Ebert, right? You know, and they would give the movie two thumbs up or two thumbs down or, or, or split the vote. And that's the idea, right? We propose a topic and we, we talk about it for a little while, promising not to dither, waffle, equivocate, or screw things up. Something, yeah, there's yeah. something else, I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so, and typically Ben will pitch the idea and then I'll, I'll have to, to think about what I think while he carefully composes what he thinks. But, but I, I would say, based on what we've done before with risks from Himalayan sea salt, or, well, and so 
And so typically we will agree, but we won't always agree. Ben tends to be more risk averse. I'm willing to do you know, things that are maybe a little bit riskier according to Ben. Um, but I believe with Himalayan salt and also with licking an ice sculpture, um, I think we were both not risk. Well, I don't know, maybe the ice sculpture was that, did you invoke your norovirus clause? Yeah. I did, I did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, here's the thing. So if, if it was a surface that was hospitable to norovirus survival, I predict that Ben w would say risky, but I'm gonna say since it's salt and I suspect that norovirus does not really survive very well, on salt walls, Ben is going to say, see, we're, we're switching it up. I'm going to tell you what he... <laughs> this is a different show. It's a different show. Don it's predicts live. what I say. It's live. Yeah. It's a food safety talk, or it's a risky or not. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's neither. Have I mentioned the time zone is, yeah. <laughs> is off? I don't know what time it is. Um, so I think um, I, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say not risky. Um, now, again, it, people have, you know, we, we often say, like, we spend a lot of time on the show talking about what the, the, show, the, the name of the show is not, right? Um, the name of the show is not, does that comply with the code or not? Um, the name of the show is not, is that disgusting or not? Um, it's risky or not. And so we really try to focus on whether something really well and truly poses a, a risk. And again, risk is, is subjective and it, it's, there's all sorts of shades of gray when you talk about risk, but unfortunately, the podcast does not allow us. We can, we can talk about shades of gray, but eventually we have to get to the point, which that's, is what I'm trying to do now. As, as that's fast as I, you as talk. Fast we as could I do, yeah, yeah. Um, And I'm gonna say licking a Himalayan wall at that Arizona restaurant, with or without tequila. Tequila would make it safer, but with or without tequila, I'm gonna say not risky. Not risky, all right. I, I'm going to read uh, a little more from the article because that's the other thing that I get to do is Don talks right away and then I get to think about it. Um, so I'm going to uh, share the mission. According to the mission, Himalayan salt has, has self-cleaning properties. <laughs> so there's little risk. It's no, self-cleaning. No, yeah, it's, no. it says it's right here it's in the only, article. You read it on the internet. It yeah. must be true. Um, and so, uh, and if that wasn't reassuring enough, the restaurant staff also wipe the wall uh, clean regularly. Um, How do they do that? I, well, with what chemicals? I, mean, I think they, they, maybe with their tongues. Uh, <laughs> it was just too easy to set up there. Um, so, I, I, all right, Don predicted correctly that I'm going to say not risky on this, although I will. Uh, there is, and so one of the other things we do for our shows is there's always notes. So if you're listening, um, we always try to include all the links and the things that we are talking about. So we will include this fantastic paper that came out a couple of years ago that I found that I use every time that there's something around licking, which I will, Don, what Don thinks is a cop-out for this, but it's a... I, I, I don't know about cop-out. I think you're mischaracterizing my objection. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, it's a paper that showed um, in, a, in a study a few years ago about 5% of individuals who were shedding norovirus in their saliva were asymptomatic. So I use that paper every time and say 5%, yeah, we don't know, that's enough. So my, my like path to risky is asymptomatic norovirus shedders licking the salt wall. I still agree with, with Don here that um, I don't think the norovirus uh, particles are gonna survive very well on that high salt 
um, surface. It's different from something like stainless steel. And I will give up my own caveat, because I get to do that today too, which is if, if any of you um, are planning on going to the mission in Glendale today, because um, you know I think it's available for reservations this evening, um, and you are going to lick the Himalayan salt wall, don't lick wet patches. That would make it riskier, riskier, which is a different podcast. But I am going to go not risky because I think it's going to dry out pretty, pretty quickly as well with that 100% uh, salt um, that, that you're applying your uh, you know, asymptomatic norovirus uh, saliva to. And, and just again to round out the things that you should or should not lick, okay, episodes, <laughs> another, in another episode whose number I will not reveal, um, licking a chocolate statue, uh, we were both firmly risky in that case. So, so ice, not risky. Salt walls, not risky. Chocolate statues, risky. In case you're keeping track. There you go. And we're nothing if not consistent. With <laughs> yeah, consistent-ish. Consistent-ish. But you know, sometimes, and th this is the thing that we really try to do with with risky or not, and we'll we'll come back to this when we open things up for questions. But you know, ultimately, the idea behind that that podcast or this podcast, whatever it is we're doing right now, is that these are the types of things that many of you in the audience here today probably get texted from your friends who know that you're in the world of food safety or food safety adjacent. Like, hey, I left eggs in my car overnight and I forgot about them. Should I throw them out? And one thing that, that Don and I have spent a lot of time talking about on Food Safety Talk, I think is our just different approaches. You know, Don comes at food safety from an area of a my, microbial modeler. I come at things looking at specific practices. What are people doing in, in the communication end of things? And we meet in the middle, but that experience that we have sometimes dictates differently on whether we think something's risky or not. But ultimately, all of that, what I just shared, doesn't matter to the like other hockey parent that texts me on you know 7.30 in the morning and says, hey, um, I went to a Carolina Hurricanes game last night. We ate a pizza before. We didn't finish it all. I put it in the trunk and I left it there overnight. Can I still eat that pizza? And I look at that question as, that's a risky or not question, right? Like I wanna give somebody just a, a really succinct answer. I don't wanna say, well, you know, there are a lot of things that could be going on here. And if I was really cautious, it being in the world of food safety that I'm in, I would use that, you know, I think sometimes overused used term of when in doubt, throw it out, because it's easy. Right, it's an, it's an easy kind of thing to say where we don't always have all the information that we need to know. Um, but one thing that I've really appreciated about that, you know, the take that we, that we do when it comes to risky or not is we, we really try to not do that. We wanna give someone like an answer that may not jive exactly with what CDC or USDA or FDA might recommend or other extension folks might recommend um, because it doesn't always bring in this question of risk. It's, it's often very um, uh, 
let, let's be super, super conservative with our answers. And so I've really appreciated because it's a different part of our mindset, right? Like, let's think about what could be there, what could be growing, how long it was there, what's the likelihood that there's enough water activity in that pizza. Um, and, you know, if it's pepperoni and cheese versus a whole bunch of vegetables, uh, what's at that interface? Like, those are the types of things that we're trying to, to think about and really share with listeners when we do both food safety talk and risky or not, but risky or not, we try to do it in like 10 to 12 minutes. And we have, we, pizza is a, is a favorite on, uh, not only at the dinner table, but on the podcast. Um, uh, and we've covered pizza five different times, but uh, the episode that Ben is talking about is 156 trunk pizza. <clears throat> yeah, because that's real life. We, I did get that text. Yes, what, what are the risks of leaving meat pizza in the trunk of your car for an entire hockey game? So we try to be very specific <laughs> with respect to the advice we're providing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we try to do, and this is, I think, less and less on um, risky or not, but we, we, we often tackle three or four big topics and talk about them for 20 or 30, 30 minutes on food safety talk from lots of different angles. And often these are things, again, that come to us either through the news that we're reading or through social media or through emails. And I'm going to read an email that I got yesterday, which has some food safety to it. So bear with me because I know, hey, we, we have like another hour. So we got filler time. This is filler time. No, I'm, I'm joking. So um, this email had no subject. And I'm always a little bit leery because, you know, maybe it's spam, maybe it's a bot. But you'll see that as we get into this, I'm not really sure. Um, Dear Mr. Benjamin Chapman, okay, I have read your publication. Interesting. First of all, as an academic, got a little bit of an ego. Read my publication. I'm interested. Tell me. Second question, which publication? Which one? Did you like it? Or maybe it, was a, maybe it was a typo and the person meant to say publication. I don't know. I don't know. Um, next paragraph. I'm, I am a Ukrainian inventor practitioner, hereditary cabinet maker, which is genetic, um, <laughs> with more than 30. He, he didn't have any choice. He, yes. had to be, he had to be a, a cabinet maker. It was hereditary. Yeah. With more than 30 years of experience in woodworking, for the last 20 years I've been working with the end cut of a tree. And as so the same the same end cut for thirty years, I, he's really taking this project seriously. He's very invested in this one tree, maybe a very large tree that we don't know about. Um, uh, I've more than a dozen patents for inventions, mostly in artistic end grain parquet manufacturing. Okay, so so what? <laughs> I I am reading this. This isn't a immediate to to delete email, and, and there's a history on this. It's because probably the most read article that I've ever written was not an academic publication, but it was um, a popular science article that I wrote about, um, co-wrote with, with my friend Matt Shipman from NC State News Services um, about cutting boards and food safety. And consistently, um, Matt tells me every year that is the Every year, the number one downloaded news or viewed news article on the NC State website, which almost certainly drives people at the university nuts, um, <laughs> mainly because it's such an odd like slice of, of the world. And there are 
way more um, high-profile research that goes on in my institution. But wood versus plastic cutting boards rules the world, I guess. So anyway, um, the emailer goes through this, uh, a, a little more information. Um, I'm new to the US and plan to stay constantly. Um, I have fully prepared. Wait, 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 wait. sorry, sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's new to the U.S. and plans to stay constantly. Constantly. He will constantly be staying. Okay. Um, I, yes. <laughs> I, and this is where things get really exciting for me, personally. I have fully prepared another application for an invention developed back in Ukraine, but which I want to file in the U.S. We may want to do this together. I'm being invited to file a patent on end cut cutting boards. In the new product, I've collected all the advantages of cutting boards um, of various materials, including wood, discarding their disadvantages. And this is where I think the, the email for me connects, right? I'm getting this because of this cutting board thing. And there's like a food safety slant to it. So um, I won't read the entire rest of this, but essentially he goes on to say that this product is waterproof, resistant to aggressive environments. And I think that that's like, working at a regulatory agency. Um, sorry, I know who's in the room, right? Where's my bell? Play into God the, damn it, play into the audience here. Um, uh, acids and can be safely boiled and sterilized by all available methods and means. There are no additional edible oil coatings required. So anyway, um, I haven't decided what to do. I've not responded to this, to this emailer. But this is the kind of stuff that and you know we we sometimes it gets us in trouble because we spend like 45 minutes deconstructing these emails we are often invited to have people um we're invited to have people join us on our podcast and we don't have a lot of guests on our podcast but people pitch us well um, all the time also people want to write an article for our blog they do which is a podcast website and we don't really have so a it's blog. not really a blog but yeah. you know whatever i mean you know so, but I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna follow up with um, with this individual and the end cut wood mm -hmm. and to see I'm not interested in a patent on this, but I am interested to see maybe there's some cool emerging technology here on wooden versus uh, plastic cutting boards that fits my my daily um, use as but, a as an extension person in food safety. But it really does kind of read 50% fan, 50% spam. Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, but I, yeah, I mean, if we were going to start a new podcast, spam or not, spam or I would say not spam. I think it's not spam. Yeah. So anyway, we'll, I'll follow up. And this is the other thing that we do on Food Safety Talk is sometimes we plant a little bit of a seed of a topic. And then uh, I'll send an email back over the next couple of days and maybe we'll have something to report next time we talk. So, um, so other things that I wanted to talk about with you, Don, and again, this is another sort of big like topic um, that, that pops up all the time. But um, for those of you who are familiar with food safety and where it crosses over into popular culture, there's a lot of what Don and I would often talk about as sort of clickbait articles out there. Um, I'm a, a famous, between Don and I, subscriber to Apple News. That's like my news, um, how, I, how I read about things. Um, and uh, because I subscribe to like 70 or 80 different um, Apple News nodes, I get a lot of like food safety stuff that comes up. And so one that I want to talk about is one that came up for me a little while ago from cheapism. 
So I, 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 somehow I put this for us to talk about, but I, I didn't have any recollection of where it came from, but it came from you. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. good. I'm, that's one mystery solved. Yeah, so it came from me originally. So Cheapism asks, um, how long you, well, they don't ask, I guess. I guess they kind of just tell you. They tell you. They just tell you. tell you. Yeah. So yeah. Um, how long you have to safely eat unrefrigerated foods, okay? So this is one that often Don and I try to tackle these lists and, and again, think about it like, all right, what's the risk here that they're talking about? So this, let's go, it's, it's the when to toss 25. So you're here for a while, I'll just let you know. <laughs> when, to, when to toss 25 unrefrigerated foods. Number one, fresh, cooked, or boiled eggs, okay? And I feel like- uh, Those are three different things. Yes, yes they are. I, as a microbiologist, I just wanna go on record as saying those are three different things. They're not the same. I mean, I, who am I to question cheapism? I mean, that's a whole website that they have <laughs> with lots and lots of ads and they're not even being blocked by my ad blockers, which is kind of annoying, but uh, yes, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, and, and here, Don, this is gonna really surprise you, I think, based on that this is coming from cheapism, which I would expect the answer to all of these, number 25 is you have the you can You can forever. keep these forever. How long right. you safely have exactly. forever. So fresh, cooked, or boiled eggs, time, around two hours. So I, are you interested in more, or should we go on to the next one? <laughs> All right, let's, let's see what Cheapism has to say. As with most meat products. Wait, wait, sorry, sorry, hmm. sorry. Eggs are not meat. Uh, okay, so we've got we got two problems, <laughs> at least two problems, not even considering that the answer they gave is wrong. Okay, they're the start of meat, not some of them if they well, were fertilized. Chicken, which came first? It could be could be what you get after you I, get meat. True, right? true. If, if the chicken yeah. came first. Um, so as with most meat products, raw, scrambled, or hard-boiled eggs should be tossed for your own safety if left to sit at room temperature for two hours or longer as they'll begin to sweat, facilitating bacterial growth. I, sorry, sorry, next, so sweating? They're sweating. Is that why your armpits stink? Because <laughs> of bacterial growth? I yes. mean, not yours, I, I mean, mean once. Not your, Probably. You, you smell like a daisy. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, they're gonna begin to sweat, facilitating the bacterial growth, but I do wanna note here that Cheapism also says, this rule will vary in the UK and most of Europe, where eggs, oh. are, I guess, are somewhat different. Um, and I like that congressman, they don't sweat? They don't sweat there. Or yeah. no, that was, was the, the prince, was prince, who, who is it that didn't sweat? Prince Pr Andrew? Was it prince? Somebody didn't sweat. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, was I, it Prince? No, I think, I think, Prince I think it was. No, I no. think it was somebody who got out of being like on oh, Epstein's uh, island because right. he didn't yeah, sweat or something. I don't know. I, I don't really follow the news. <laughs> well, all right. In UK, most of Europe, eggs apparently don't sweat, but also safety procedures permit chicken eggs to be sold unrefrigerated. So that's it. I mean, if you're looking for um, you know what to do here fresh cooked or boiled eggs around two hours don you want to so what are your thoughts on I, this i just because this is how you look stuff up on google i typed in who doesn't sweat <laughs> um the third hit um anhydrosis why some people 
apparently like Prince Andrew don't sweat. Well, so we solved two problems at once. What it's called and, and, and who, which, which of the, the royals was, was involved. Sorry, what was, you asked me a real yeah, question. So what what was think, the real question? What do you think, two hours? No, toss them around well, two they're, hours? they're fine for two hours. Yes, they're fine for two hours. But doesn't, doesn't the food code say if you have a hard-boiled, air-dried egg, it's, I, you, I don't know, somebody it's who's a, better at the food code, tell me what the answer is, right? It, I mean, I think it's a non-TCS food, right? So forever? For, I, it's, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd go forever until it spoils. Um, and that, that's one of the ones that we, we talk, we've tackled on Risky or Not, and I think it's one that kind of blows um, some, some folks' minds, right? So should we, should we write to Jeff Rinskop, who is the apparent author of this article, and point out how he's wrong? Would, would that be? Well, we got, you, could, I mean, because, you know, there, we got time. I mean, there's a whole internet out there we can fix. True, true, but there's 24 to go. So let's wait. <laughs> okay. Let's see how, how many others we have here. How about butter? Don. So again, how long should you let butter safely outside of your, your uh, refrigerator? Jeffrey from Cheapism says one to two days. Okay, which is it? Is it one day or is well, it two days? Well, it's one to two. What does that mean? I mean, it's at least one, not as many as two. Is what the way to And then here. So if it's less than one, I'm definitely not going to die. And if it's more than two, I definitely will die. I think that's okay. what he's saying. He, uh, he writes, most refrigerated sticks of butter will last up to one month after the sell-by date on the package. Unlike most dairy products, however, butter is a food that can survive, because it's alive, at room temperature without spoiling for one to two days, thanks mostly to its low lactose levels and high saturated fat content. That's, so those are words? <laughs> About things that are in butter, yes. but it's not right, right? Like the reason why butter is as good at staying as long as it does is it's, let me remember my food science here, it is a water in oil emulsion, right? Which means that the oil is the continuous phase and the water is the discontinuous phase and bacteria like to grow in the water phase, which means that, they're, that you have to have a bacteria in one of those water um, Globules, uh, yep, things, yep. little round things, um, and and uh, and there's a lot of salt in there. So and if it's salted butter, anyway. Yeah. So far, I have to say, I'm really not impressed. Well, <laughs> hey, just hold on to your pants here. Um, next one, Ta Don. Cheese. So you, this might surprise you a little <laughs> bit because this varies a bit. Around two to twelve hours. Yeah, well, it's not exactly two hours. It's not exactly 12. It's just, it really varies. It's around two to 12 hours. Okay, okay so less than two hours, definitely safe. More than 12, definitely risky. Yeah, Got it. yeah. Um, uh, leaving cheese out overnight can affect quality. Oh, okay. Fair enough. All right, I'm not going to argue with that. But it isn't typically dangerous or a safety wait, risk. Wait, how long is overnight? Well, it's around two to 12 <laughs> hours, Don. <laughs> I mean, it's, the article is not even consistent. Who wrote this? I, I think Jesus. his name's Jeff, and we're gonna we're gonna write him. Jesus. Um, Jesus Jeff. So we've got we've got two to twelve hours for cheese. Um, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board says, "Oh, there, that's the end of the sentence." Yeah. In fact, all but fresh or shredded cheeses, such as feta or mozzarella, should be given an hour on average to come to room temperature, with no risk of developing dangerous bacteria levels when hard cheeses become easier to cut and soft ones easier to spread. Okay, be more careful about the latter after several hours, and I'll, I'll refer back to the heading here, I think that means 12, um, as soft cheeses are a more perishable food that encourage bacterial growth. So, so Ben, I have an important question for you. Uh -huh, uh -huh. How, is it, how is it that a food develops dangerous bacterial levels? 
In a in a dark room? No, no. Does does it just like do you do you remember the theory of spontaneous generation? I know you're you're not as old as I am. Yes, I do remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember that in alchemy. They came out at around the same time. And do you remember who disproved the theory of spontaneous generation? I, you know, I, I think it was uh, one of our famous guys who uh, came up with uh, pasteurizing things. Oui, oui, Louis yeah, Pasteur, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, he discovered that, in fact, um, if you start with a literally pasteurized cheese product, it will never develop dangerous bacterial levels. Ben, why? Because there's no pathogens there to begin with. Now, that's not to say that if you were to lick it and you had norovirus in your saliva, you know, but again, the norovirus is not going to multiply because it's on, on cheese. Um, but where was I going with this? So, so I, again, um, that's how they I, get developed. I, I, I don't, I don't think it works that way. All right. Okay. Here, Don, I've got another good one for you. This, this one is actually probably going to shock everyone here. <laughs> so number, number, well, it doesn't really matter what the number is. Lunch meats is on the list around two hours. So I want to highlight here around two hours for lunch meats. How many of you take lunch meats or pack it for someone who might go to school? They don't have a lot of refrigerators. Okay, according to foodsafety.gov's recommendations, so this is from an official source, which err on the side of caution, we've talked about this, cold cuts and other sliced deli meats used for wraps or sandwiches won't last any longer out of the fridge than raw or regular cooked meat. So, Dom, what's raw or regular cooked meat, first of all? Well, I guess raw meat would be meat that's raw. Okay. And re regular, regular cooked. Regular cooked meat would be not processed deli meats, like cooked chicken, cooked hamburger. Regular cooked? Yeah, regular cooked. That's how I, how I think of it. So, uh, it's best to discard these foods either after two hours in temperatures from 40 to 140 degrees. And this is what I want so, to pause so on. So, wait a minute, wait a I minute. I want to pause so, on here. So, two hours at 40 is not safe? Two hours, yep. Two, <laughs> it's best to discard these foods at either two hours in temperatures from 40 to 140. That's not right, Ben. Because 40 is quote-unquote safe, according to the code, right? Yep. And I would argue 41 or 42, or even 43, if it's deli meats, you're probably okay. Well, and here's one that I, I really do want to talk about and pause yeah. on, because this is, this is a really tough one, right? So here, here we have, and, and I agree, I know, I know how someone constructs an article like this, yes. and it's true. Yes. Going, you, you apparently just type stuff into the internet, yeah. and, then, and then copy and paste whatever comes out. And, and so one of the things that I think about as a parent of two kids, and truthfully, neither of whom eat deli meat, but it is a struggle trying to figure out what to send for school. And I think about how we communicate food safety to lots of different audiences. And this is one that's really tough because yes, can we have growth of pathogens in products like this? It, it certainly happens. Can it be quicker at hotter temperatures? Absolutely. Would you, and, and I'm going to sort of go back to a risky or not question, you know, if I think about packing, let's say, lunch meat in, um, you know, someone's lunch, a, a ham sandwich or um, turkey breast sandwich, processed turkey breast, um, in a wrap or a sandwich, I don't even care what, what form it is, as um, Jeff points out, uh, and sending that with a child to lunch, you know, do you think that that's risky or not? And I want to pause on this because let's talk about you know, why it might be risky and how we kind of get to this kind of information and how I think it's challenging to, to communicate stuff like this. 
Yeah, well, I'm, so I, I don't think it's risky, especially if it's a processed cured deli meat. And, and again, I'm assuming that you have, you're relatively hygienic in your kitchen. But did you start this all this whole thing off by saying that your kids don't like deli meats? Yeah, yeah they don't eat deli meats. So what do they take for lunches? They, they take um, very uh, plain and bland, um, sometimes peanut butter sandwiches, okay. um, sometimes just a bagel that is untoasted and uncut. Um, and yeah, and please don't judge any of my kids' or call nutrition. Or Child Protective Services. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's you their know, choice. Gotta, it's, it's a battle. Yeah. Every day's a battle with uh, teenage kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as, as, a, as a kid, I have to say my lunch choice has probably approximated your kids pretty, pretty closely. But no, I wouldn't worry about sending lunch meats uh, with, with a kid, no. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I would worry about them deciding to want to eat the lunch meats the next day after they left them in the bottom of their locker or the back of their bottom of their backpack that that but again even then it's probably not any pathogens there to begin with maybe some staff if they touched it you know so yeah yeah and so the and, and I'm going to point out foodsafety.gov where there's some good good stuff here but I think this is where it gets translated sort of incompletely so foodsafety.gov talks foodsafety.gov talks about packing a lunch keep perishable foods like deli meats in an insulated lunchbox with a cold source such as a frozen gel pack water bottle or juice box I like that good message would and this is from a research science sort of standpoint I don't think we have a whole lot of data on if you've got a referred or a frozen water bottle, if that is really going to keep that deli meat at 40 or below for longer than you know four hours, which is probably the time that it's going to sit in that lunchbox um, or you know or whatever insulated container, but I think it's doing good, right? It's keeping foods as cool as we can. But what I really worry about when we see some of these sort of absolutes, like, and again, I think foodsafety.gov talks about this in a much better way than in this, this article, where it's like, hey, you got two hours if it's 41 degrees. Um, and it's, it's not as simple as that. And I think that's not achievable for most of us um, in lots of different settings. Think about cooling foods, do your best to do this. This is gonna reduce the risk as, as, as much as possible. But when we start to look at abs absolutes like this, like you've got around two hours, well, it's, it's really just not possible in many, in many cases. All right, let's move on, Don. Fruit pies, one of, one of my favorites. So how long can you keep a fruit pie unrefrigerated? According to this article, two days. Apple and other fruit pies need not to be refrigerated right after baking. Instead, leave them on the counter or in the pantry for about two days before storing in the fridge. So you got them there a couple of days, um, and then you can put them in the fridge. From there, the pie should be eaten or discarded within four to five days to avoid bacterial growth again during which time individual slices can sit at room temperature, though perhaps avoiding leaving them directly in the sun two to three hours without risk. I feel like I need a whiteboard there's a lot for of, this one. There's a lot of very specific information that's not based on anything. So yeah. two days on, okay, follow me here. Two days on the counter, okay. Right. Yep. Then move it to the refrigerator for four days. Four to five days. Four to five, okay, five, let's five right. days. And then, you could take another slice out and put that at room temperature. But not in the sun. But not in and the sun. And only for two to three hours. And only for two to three hours. 
See, there's a lot of bad food safety information. Yeah, and, out there. and what I what I really want to know is what's the pH and what's the water activity of the pie, right? And what and we don't know that, obviously. But what's the recipe used to create the pie? We don't we don't know that. Now there are you know, and one of the things too that because I, I keep thinking about it um, is you know, co cottage foods recently became legal in New Jersey, last state in the country to do so. Congratulations. Um, and um, uh, when we've been talking about cottage foods in the past, we, there's a wonderful uh, uh, resource. Well, I would call it a wonderful resource. Anyway, you, you can buy some cookbooks from a lady in Texas who basically went and had pH and water activity tested of a lot of different baked products um, to see whether they're TCS or not. And, and so what we really need is we really need to know for this fruit pie recipe, is it, is it a TCS food or not? Um, and that's going to definitively answer the question, right, um, as to whether what to do with it. And of course, but that, that is not the kind of thing that you could, if you're this person, you can put in a blog post. So Yeah, and it's, um, so I, I don't know if we'll go through it. Are there any other favorites of yours on this list that you want to oh, talk about? Can we talk about yogurt, please? Yes, we can definitely talk that, about and that's, yogurt. Then we can leave it there. So let me, let me find this uh, yogurt. I just scrolled by it here. Yogurt. How long can we leave it on unrefrigerated, un Don? Around two hours. Again, we're not like real, you know, let's just say around two hours. Um, yogurt and other dairy products can be left to sit out for two hours before bacteria begin to grow. That surprises me about yogurt. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a second. <laughs> Making them potentially unsafe to eat before long. The pro this process has accelerated temperatures over, over 90 degrees. Um, uh, re and what they say for more specific, read, keep your yo play out of the sun, or in yogurts with added fruits and sugars as most milk-based products, with the exception of butter, are quick to spoil and taste better cold anyway. That might be a true phrase, taste better cold. That, that I think he's, I'm not going to argue with that. But I don't, do you, I, Ben, do you, do you know how they make yogurt? I, oh, <laughs> this is... Just a fantastic question. Don, not only do I know how, to, how they make yogurt, but yesterday, yesterday you made yogurt. made yogurt here at Afto in a, um, in a workshop that we put on around uh, variances and retail hassle. Oh, I thought you were so, going to say around two hours. Around two hours. It was, yeah, we made yogurt in around two hours. I hope you threw it out yeah. at the end. So, it wouldn't be safe after that. So here's what you do to make yogurt. You take milk, you heat it up, you add a starter culture that has some bacteria in it, on purpose, and then you incubate it for, oh, let's say five to 10 hours, depending on a few different variables. Um, and then uh, you probably have some yogurt um, at the end of that. And, and what, what is that? What is that yogurt? yogurt. Delicious. No, no. Um, it's sorry. It's milk. It's milk that is that has been that is spoiled. It has been spoiled. <laughs> yes, the bacteria. We are putting the bacteria in there so they can chew up all of that fancy sugar and spit out lactic acid and spoil and make, and that spoil perfectly it. delicious. Yeah. So milk. so I mean, as, you know, I mean, I'm making a joke, but 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 yogurt is already spoiled milk. It's only going to get more spoiled. Now, again, I, I agree that it might taste better cold. It's not going to get any less safe as it sits out for longer and longer, especially if it's in a sealed container. Right. And it's made from pasteurized milk. Um, and even, I mean, you could even argue fluid milk, there's a small probability that, that fluid milk might contain a viable cell of listeria monocytogenes. 
I think it's really hard to make the case that if you had Listeria monocytogenes in yogurt, that it's going to do anything except die in response to the acidity and, and, and potentially the bacteriosins coming from the, from the lactic acid bacteria that are there. So, yeah, I mean, this is just, anyway, this, this, it, this article is bad, and, it's, and having started reading into it, it's even worse than I, I suspected. Yeah, so, but. It, no, and, and I, I guess this is like the food safety talk message portion. Um, Don and I, we, we do, between the two of us, we do a, a bunch of media interviews a year. Um, and, and it all kind of depends on what's happening, right? Um, but sometimes there are these evergreen topics that pop up with magazines, with like articles like, like this, where you get interviewed. And the hardest thing for us to, um, and this is a challenge to those in the room and those who are listening, but the hardest thing I think for us to really explain to folks outside of the world of food safety and microbiology is the difference between spoilage and safety. And ultimately, like 90% of risky or not is at that, like where we're just debating about the difference between spoilage and safety. And, and often, you know, I, I did an interview earlier this week um, about, um, you know, a hot topic, Chronobacter sakazakii, and talking about the difference of bacteria just in general in the environment. Like just speaking with a journalist who, who is given this beat Right, like and, you know, an editor says, go out and write something about this incident that's happening right now. And teaching over the course of a 30 minute or 45 minute conversation that A, and this isn't to sound like um, patronizing or anything, but it's really the challenge for all of us in the room. A, bacteria is everywhere. Like bacteria, it's on our skin, it's on the surfaces that we're sitting on, it's on the, cu the cutlery and silverware that we're gonna use to eat our dinners with, and the difference between bacterial population, populations and viruses floating in the air, and mold and yeast spores that are gonna be floating around and being on these um, surfaces as well. And trying to talk about the difference between that and say the 40 or so foodborne pathogens that we worry about the most, and that there are lots of different environments to think about and different foods, that's a I mean, truthfully, a complicated situation that I think many of us take for granted, but it is a big portion of what we try to do on Food Safety Talk and what I think we try to do when we talk to, um, to journalists, but also it's, it's a challenge for all of us in this room because it, it's, hard to, it's hard to talk about and explain in a really succinct way. At, at least that's been my, my experience, but it's a, it's a common situation that pops up all over and again as we just went through a handful of foods it's really it's hard because um often people aren't getting the difference between those two things spoilage and safety so sorry to soapbox and pontificate but that is kind of what we do on food safety talk sorry potatoes one to two weeks i need to i need to just close <laughs> yeah this okay good back to potatoes it, so yeah anyway <clears throat> yeah so, we should talk about something else all right. Because this article is just a mess. All right, I got one for you. Okay. Um, let me find the actual... Peanut uh, butter, one to three months. Sorry, sorry. Well, and, you know, over time, maybe uh, we do know that um, salmonella in a long time... Uh, you know, we did have a question on risky or not for about eating um, recalled salmonella that was 10 years old or something. Yeah. Um, and with the likelihood that there would still be salmonella in it um, 10 years from now. And at the start of the episode, I was very much on risky. And then Don hit me with a bunch of science and was like, eh, 
it's pretty much not going to be there 10 years from now. Um, not risky. So we, I think we both were, we ended up not risky on that one. Yeah. 268, old outbreak, uh, old outbreak peanut butter. Uh, and um, for current day, uh, you know, uh, think about what to do with uh, some of your currently in your now that's pantry. A that's that's yeah. a different question. It different is. Podcast, it is also answered. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, Don, did you know that the most underrated bakery is your neighbor's front porch? Your neighbor's front porch. The most. Un yes. What underrated bakery underrated near you? Bakery. Is this like where you cook eggs on your dashboard, oh, or <laughs> just on your balcony here in Phoenix, well, Arizona? Yes. So from Bon Appetit, um, the most underrated bakery near you is your neighbor's front porch. Um, uh, um, Sarah, this is the other part that's I think an ongoing bit of food safety talk and risky or not. I have a very I, I can't pronounce anything. I don't pronounce names well. I don't pronounce words well. So Sarah Sarason has been living near, uh, living in the same Berkeley home for 20 years, rarely meeting any of her neighbors. That all changed about a month ago when the journalist and podcast editor signed up for the Baking Notification Project. Are you familiar with the Baking Notification I'm, I'm Project? I'm not. I'm not getting notified. You're not? Yes, you're not getting notified about baking um, or... Uh, other, maybe other things. So um, the Baking Notification Project, she now sits uh, in the sun on her porch of her 100-year-old bungalow waiting for 25 new friends and neighbors to arrive. They're all there to collect a leftover share of Sarasan's lemon cake with honey frosting, one of many favorite recipes she distributes weekly via the app. All right, are you, are you Okay, where are you so at now? it's your neighbor's porch if you happen to live next to Sarah. Yes. Okay. She does not I don't know. Or, she doesn't live near me as far as I know. If you're on the baking notification project. Oh, so oh, oh sorry. Check yes, out yes. bakingnotificationproject.com. So, this uh, group connects hobby bakers with their neighbors to solve a specific hobby ba baker problem. We love to bake, but we can't eat it all. Subscribers that get text message notifications when a baker in their neighborhood has a few extra hot cinnamon rolls or fresh baked chocolate chip cookies to share. Um, so anyway, there's a lot of people that you can see on this website. Check it out right now. But I do want to talk a little bit about this. I'm not going to give you all the details, but what I've just told you about this. What do you? What are your thoughts? What are like? What do you? What are you thinking here? Well, my my first thought is that my wife likes to bake. And we don't want to eat it all because of the calories. Um, and so I just have graduate students. And <laughs> I just give it away. Yeah. So that's what we do is we have leftover bakery products. We just give them away. But, I mean, obviously this, they have an app for this. And they're a startup. And they're trying to, uh, you know, grow their entrepreneurial something, something. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with this. I mean, I think this is, um, I mean, you know, again, cottage foods are legal. Finally, now everywhere, including New Jersey, have I mentioned we were the last state? Um, so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's just, it's basically, I mean, again, it depends on the food, right? It depends on what they're baking. But, no, for the most part, baked, baked goods are very low risk, which is why, again, they're allowed in, in New Jersey's very strict uh, cottage food rules. So, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I, I guess my one concern would be if I was somebody who was allergic or had somebody in my family who was allergic, I would be really leery of doing something like this because you're really trusting that that person is, is going to manage that risk for you. That's, but that's the flat one red flag for me. 
So, and I'm gonna, th this is one, and again, I, I kind of set you up a little bit on this because I think this is something that in our world of food safety, I think we've seen lots of stuff like this pop up and our, I think many times a knee-jerk reaction is like, hey, this is a really, really bad idea. But I will, I wanna read a little more into this because I think some of your concerns here are addressed. Um, and so the concept is sim simple, okay? Each baker can cook whenever and whatever they like, but all must agree to follow their state's cottage food laws, which could involve in, um, using ingredient labels and securing food handling certifications. After a free month of beta testing to figure out the quirks, bakers pay a monthly fee of $25 and can charge their, quote, customers up to $10 a month to access the goods, though some, like Sarasan, uh, offer their subscription for free. The only hitch for subscribers, there needs to be a home baker in your local area for, for you to access the goods. And I think that this is, you know, if I think about where we were maybe eight or 10 years ago about thinking about these, like, um, food sharing apps, there's lots of different examples of this, and we've talked quite a bit about this on Food Safety Talk um, over the years. I think that the message around food safety and, like, hitting this interesting area of, like, are you following a regulation or are you not, is now much more prevalent in many of the many of these apps. And I agree with you. I think that this is, um, it's, it's, we know that stuff like this is going on. It's probably good that there's at least some level of like, hey, we should think about food safety here. I, I like that. Um, I'm also fairly comfortable that these are pretty low risk from a food safety standpoint foods. Um, and, and not to say that they are always low risk because there are certainly like some cream filled based um, uh, baked items that we know we've seen like um, Staph aureus been linked to and Shigella. So we, you know, we don't have to go far to find those, um, those types of outbreaks. But what I guess I'm heartened by is that now all of a sudden there's food safety conversations um, about this. But I do think, and why I wanted to talk about this specifically here today, is I know with the, you know, I don't know, 100 or so folks from the regulatory world that are here, that this is a challenge, right? Like finding how to manage this regulatorily, right? And I'll read again, just to hit it. There, like this is quote customers. This is co this is commercial baked goods that are happening. You've got a $25 fee to get into the network and you, you charge people to come pick up a dozen cookies, $10. So that, I see the challenge that many local, state, and federal regulators will, will encounter with this. But, but I, I guess for our goal here, what I want to do is just be like, you know, many of you know that this is happening. More of this stuff's going to happen. It's, it's growing. And, and so I, I think it's important that we talk about it. Yeah. <clears throat> and speaking of the audience, speaking of talking about it, um, so we've been sitting up here going on for about an hour and, and five minutes, and we'll keep going because we're professors and podcasters, so this is just what we do. Uh, but there is a microphone stand somewhere in the room, it's, it's and there, a, is, is there, and there might it. even be a microphone on it. There is. I can see the um, microphone. So at this point, um, this doesn't have to be the audience participation part. Oh, I see we have a brave, uh, a brave soul. Adam's Thank you, going. Adam. Thank you. Um, uh, but we would love, I mean, again, we, can, we, talk, we talk to each other all the time. Uh, we can talk to each other for, you know, Long time, but it's more interesting um, if we can bring other people into the conversation. So, go all ahead, right, Adam. Adam, go for it. Oh, you might have to turn it on. Check, check, microphone, check, check, one, two. <laughs> right there, there we, we go. go. Now we're hot. 
All right, second time, long time. <laughs> and I just want to say, I listened to another podcast, and for, to keep it safe, I'll call it um, All Questions Are Intelligent. And they talked about the thing you mentioned earlier about this, they called it parasocial relationship. And I first want to say that I highly value our, our parasocial relationship, where, whereby I know much more about you than you know about me. So that's cool. And not to jeopardize that valuable parasocial relationship, but I do want to ask one pressing question, and not to put you too much on the spot, but later on tonight, there's supposed to be some type of like live band karaoke situation. And I wondered, is there a possibility of a live rendition of the Risky or Not theme song? <laughs> I think the answer is no. The answer is no? Yeah, so, I, so number one, <laughs> um, <laughs> I doubt that the people at karaoke have Jonathan Colton's hit song, Bacteria, uh, which, interesting story. So you can, and you can get links to all of this on the Risky or Not website. So, so Jonathan Colton is an independent musician. Um, he makes lots of songs. Um, he wrote this song. Uh, he appropriated the audio, the, the spoken audio, from a Kentucky Fried or KF, KFC training video put the music on. Um, we use it because Jonathan put it out there um, uh, with a Creative Commons license that we could use it uh, as long as we didn't make any money off of it. And, and I, 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 keep, I keep trying to convince my wife that you know the podcast is eventually gonna make money, but there really is no way that the podcast is going to make money. It, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's only an expense. Um, uh, so, so, so that's the theme song. That's why uh, it's it's probably not available for karaoke. And the other thing too is, I'm trying really hard to kind of stay on uh, East Coast time, um, and, and I've already screwed up <laughs> right. because I got the time wrong for one hour. Um, but I'm afraid the karaoke I believe starts at eight, and that's past my bedtime. So. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's my answer. It's a, it's a wonderful theme song. Um, we could do, we could do an impromptu, after, like maybe after the opening session, after we've had a drink or two, we could do it, but not at karaoke. Yeah, but I would love to see anybody else karaoke eyes the theme song um, to uh, Risky or Not. That would, that would be fantastic. I'll read some excerpts here. Salmonella grows on raw chicken, especially old chicken. Moist foods like our salads. Um, so shout out to Yum Brands for uh, giving uh, secondarily some fantastic uh, content for, for us on, on Risky or Not uh, through our theme song. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. All right, second, second question coming up. Courtney. Courtney, hey. So maybe kind of a Risky or Not, but something that we're all seeing because I've been hearing rumbles about it, freeze drying and specifically freeze-drying meats and other TCS foods, so meats, cheesecakes, shoot, they're freeze-drying anything. So maybe just risky or not, and or thoughts. Yeah, so this is a great, it's a great question. I think that um, we're seeing a lot of freeze-drying that's, that's happening in questions like all throughout the, the country. I know um, there's lots of, uh, I think the technology has really come down in price over the last decade or so, and there's a lot of interest in, in this as part of a menu item at retail, but also in, in manufacturing. And I guess, so I'm gonna, I don't know if this, like, I'll answer this in a weird way. Um, it's, it's as risky as the food going in, right? So um, does the process of freeze drying itself 
change the um, microbial safety of that food? Probably not. I mean, we do a lot of freezing and freeze drying to preserve bacterial cultures and viruses um, for laboratory uses. So again, to, to your question, if there's path, I would assume that there's a pathogen associated with the raw meat. I would assume that that pathogen, it might be lessened by a few logs or maybe a log or, or whatever. I'm mean, gonna have to kind of look at the, the literature on this in that freeze drying process, but it's really just gonna preserve it. And then all of a sudden um, in the rehydration for some of those pathogens, it gives them the, the right environment to, to grow. Or e even if it's rehydrated and then held at refrigeration temperatures, just exist and um, lead to the potential for, for foodborne illness. So I, I think like for me, Freeze-dried strawberries, for instance, they're as risky as the strawberries going in. And if they were strawberries that were produced under good agricultural practices, that people were paying attention to pathogens, I don't worry about the freeze-drying process impacting that. But if they weren't, um, then yeah, I think they're they're as risky as as they were. Yeah, I don't I don't have too much to add except we did we did talk about a practice which is most definitely risky, I think, uh, which is. We, it was uh, episode uh, 276, which is cold-soaked, freeze-dried backpacking food. And this, so this is a practice that, that die-hard backpackers will do in an effort to save weight and not pack a stove, is they'll start at the beginning of the day, they'll pour some water into their freeze-dried food, they will incubate it, I use that word on purpose, uh, by holding it against their body all day long, and then they'll, they'll consume this eight-hour-old, lukewarm, um, backpacking, uh, freeze-dried backpacking food. And, and, and again, in that eight-hour time period, the freeze-drying process doesn't destroy spores. Um, who knows the cleanliness of the process? Maybe there's some staff when the person, you know, dumps the water in. So very, very risky. Um, but, but again, backpacking, but freeze-dried food in general, yeah, it's, it's whatever went in is, is what's going to come out. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I would say that it's a little, just to add on to that, I think it's a little bit different if we think about, like, the dehydration and drying of fruits and and meats and such, that's a, um, in some cases, and there's some really good literature out there about the safety aspects of, of following specific steps um, on that. Handling pathogens up front, getting it up to 165 before, or you know, again, depending on what the, what the food is, um, and then doing the drying side of things. So I think there's things that people can do to really reduce the, um, the chance of pathogens, but that might change the type of product that they're looking at at the end. But I don't think that there's anything inherently unsafe uh, about freeze drying. It's just another process to make a you know TCS food and non-TCS food that we have to do with with care. Uh, other more, more questions? Yeah, we still got answers. Well, or we can like BS answers. <laughs> we'll give you an answer. I'll give you a chance to talk about, oh, wow, that's well, loud. Sorry. Let me stand back here. So I'll ask the fanboy question of what's the best success in 300 episodes or so of this, and then I'll revert to my normal self and, and uh, invite you to self-mockery, and what's the biggest mistake you've made? Ooh. So. I think the biggest success is that we're still doing it and that it's still fun, and we're, we're managing to put out three episodes a week. We started <clears throat> without a real plan, and 
and, and it, but, but like so many things that we do, we just sort of figured it out as we went along, right? And it was like, well, what, what we were doing for Food Safety Talk was then we would alternate episodes, right? Like, like I, I always do the, the, the put together the show notes um, or at least the, the web links um, and then we take turns posting it. And then we were gonna sort of do the same thing with Risky or Not, but I was being a little bit more of a control freak with that and I didn't wanna give up control of, food sa of, of Risky or Not. Um, and I was still trying to do half of Food Safety Talk and Ben finally said, hey look, why don't you just let me take over Food Safety Talk? So I still, I still do the, the links, but that doesn't take much time at all. It's like, I just do it as we're talking during the podcast. And then I just shoot Ben a, a text file and we do that. Um, and then I took over Risky or Not and, and just started, just said, oh, look, we can do, we can do three episodes. If I look, if we look at how much time we spend doing food safety talk and we devote a similar amount of time to Risky or Not, and we, based on our recording, and again, we double, we've now doubled our podcasting workload, workload, if you can call it that. Um, uh, but really, the, the actual, the effort to record it is, is, it's just an hour and a half of time with, minimal to some to minimal preparation. The real work comes with getting it all uploaded and, and posted, which again, is doesn't take, probably takes about the same amount of time again um, for, the, for the episodes. So, so that's the, the, the success. The, the, I guess, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a failure, but one thing I did do recently is I went back and listened to an earlier episode before Ben had a script. <laughs> it's a lot better now that he has a script. Yeah, I, it I'm, keeps him on. It keeps him focused. This is true. This is true. Um, yeah, I think for for me, I'll give you a couple of different answers to this. On the best side, I really do think that um, both podcasts have made me think differently around food safety. Um, we, you know, we often you you get into your like disciplinary world, the biases that you have that you think about and you just start to look at those as truisms as you go forward. So over the last 10 years, Don and I have had this real, I think, gift to each other of being able to just hash out whatever's happening in the world of food safety between each other, and it has changed my mindset. Like, I would never, I, had, I got a question yesterday after the workshop that I did about um, some something about like clostridium, botulinum growth in frozen fish, right? Something real, real specific. In, in refrigerated, reduced oxygen patch, packed frozen fish. And my first thing that I did was go to something that Don and I talk about both, both of our podcasts, which is this online um, you know, website, modeling website called Combase. Because instead of me like trying to think about what I could find in the literature. I knew there was a tool out there that Don had shared with me where I can throw in the pathogen, figure out what the assumptions are around the environment, and give someone an answer really succinctly. So for me, the biggest gift of this and success has been just like thinking differently around food safety. It's also really expanded this like network of, of people. Um, I One of the things that I really, um, thought about a lot when I was uh, starting as a food safety extension specialist at NC State was how do I connect with people in the food safety world, especially regulators? And one of the cool things is we hear, you know, and it's a testament to what's happening here today in the room, but we hear from many of you about how we're kind of like a companion as you're, you know, doing your job sometimes. And that's really rewarding and cool. Um, and that maybe we're helping 
others um, think differently about about food safety as well. And really, hopefully, challenging that you know this idea of like, is it risky or not? Not whether it's you know regulated this way or not. That's the other sort of big big thing for us. Um, I think the maybe the mis uh, I don't know what the what exactly what the question was, but the mistake or the thing that um, that I would think about. Um, I think sometimes Don and I, um, we, you know, we just like to talk to each other and we forget that other people are listening. Uh, um, and that was, I got to find this because that was um, brought up in one of the, oh, one the, of our reviews, one of the best reviews ever. And I can't remember if it was on Risky or Not or on um, I, food safety talk. It, if it was, well, it was, there was one guy that talked about, um, that really complained about uh, stutter, stutter yeah, words. Which and I we, do. We well, we fixed that now. We have software that actually can fix that. Yeah. Um, uh, and th that was a really very unhappy person that offered a scathing review. Um, and that was risky or not. Um, but. Let me see um, if I can find the exact one here. Yeah. Um, oh, I think it's on food safety talk. Sorry, this okay. is the other thing that we do on our website is that we have to stall while we actually Google things. Yeah. Um, and the, you can see this on the review, and I always lean into this one. Mm -hmm. um, this is, uh, it, the, the title is, quote, girl talk between men, which I'm, like, which is. <laughs> I, I, that doesn't seem like a negative thing. No, yeah. but it's, yeah. So the review is one star, by the way. What a waste of time regarding an important topic by experts. They need to take lessons from Oprah. I don't, I don't even know what that means, but clearly we pissed someone off. At least um, they didn't say you should take, you should take notes from FDA and CDC. Oh, oh. Have you listened to any of their podcasts? They're really not that good. Sorry, yeah. sorry, folks. Sorry, sorry. They're, real, they're, they're fine, you know? We're, they're fine. If we worked for a government agency, we'd have to do a podcast that sounded like we were reading from prepared statements every time we gave a podcast, but we don't, so we don't. We're, we're equal <laughs> opportunity offenders as well. <laughs> Paid by yeah. both sides. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I'm going to, you know, we'll, um, feel free to come up and ask um, another question. We've got a few more minutes. But I'll, I'll answer one more little bit of your question. One thing that I think I, like, uh, people sometimes will ask about what our favorite episodes are. For me, um, and Don and I, have, I think we share this one. We did an episode really early on in Food Safety Talk, like probably eight or nine years ago, called Raw Milk Hamsterdam. And it's in reference to um, one of our favorite uh, television shows, The Wire, where there was this place in Baltimore created for like legal drug use. And we really spent an entire episode talking about the challenge that we have in our states as extension specialists dealing with people who come to us with real food safety questions about products that are illegal. And that's a real challenge as state employees. And so I really, for people who are new to the podcast, it's, it's dated, you know, it's, it's old certainly, but I think that that's one of our like seminal episodes because it, it really talks about the struggles that, that we have. The other episode that I really liked, and uh, again, there's no one at the microphone, so I'll just keep talking. Um, we're soon we're going to start reading you re more reviews more from the reviews, website. Yeah. Um, but uh, I talked once about the police, well, about a participant in one of our, um, yeah. in one of our food safety research observation studies, 
asking us to call the police on ourselves. And no, no, but this yes. is a good story if you've not heard it. This yeah. was somebody that Ben invited into his laboratory and he fooled them on purpose with the approval of his institutional review board to put bacteria on the person's hands and the person was really upset. They were, and, and it was a legitimate situation and it made me think way differently about interacting with human subject participants. And so I don't know what, we'll find the episode number for that, but for me that's another one where it was like, I just, like I often use Don as my therapist and I just vented to him for an hour and a half about the emotions with that, like actually upsetting someone so much that they were like, I need you to call the police because what you did was fraudulent really has stuck with me like six years later. So yeah, we get to do stuff like that and use each other for therapy sessions or mainly me and towards Don and he's like, you should get a real therapist. And we, and we, we stalled long enough to have another question. We have another question. Hey guys, this is Sarah from Virginia. Um, I wanted to know your thoughts on eating raw oysters from your own waterfront property. So, uh, first of all, I don't, wouldn't eat raw oysters from anywhere because I think they're gross. <laughs> okay? I have probably eaten raw oysters in my life in the past, but it is not a food that I seek out. Um, and so, this might be a good one for risky or not, uh, but, but let's, we'll try to answer it real quick here. So, uh, the idea that from your own waterfront property maybe makes it safer, right? Like that may be the angle that you're coming at. Um, and I guess the question is, what do you know about the water quality in that location? And the thing about water, it's kind of like air in that it, it all sort of mixes together. And so I would, uh, I mean, first of all, you know, life is short. If you like raw oysters, live it up, go for it. Like, but you know, if you're immunocompromised or, uh, or otherwise uh, disabled, you know, or, or at risk, don't, don't, don't do it, it's a, it's a bad idea. Um, but if you're healthy and you like to, you know, live, uh, live, live free, then, then go for it. Um, but I don't, I don't think it, it's, I mean, it really, for me, it comes down to more about, like, you know, the old joke about not eating oysters, only eating oysters in a, within a month with an R, right? The idea is that you want to eat them in cold, uh, in cold weather because that's when the Vibrio are, are, are on the bottom and they're not in the water column and they're not being actively filtered out by the oysters. So, um, I think so I think that there are other factors that drive the risk maybe more than the location and the fact that it's your own waterfront. I, I don't really think that that necessarily has much effect on the risk depending on where your waterfront is. I wish I had my own waterfront property. That's all I was thinking about when the question. Yeah. Um, no, and, and, but so, and, and this is one of, one of the things, again, we, we don't do the podcast, is that riskier or not? Um, which again is an <laughs> ongoing bit for us on the podcast, but I will take this one on um, in that same, same sort of vein. I, I think, you know, if, if I know more about my own waterfront property and the, um, and the water quality there, how close I am to uh, potential sources of contamination. Um, I, I think that if it's soon after a rain event where there might be runoff or different movement of pathogens, um, if I happen to live or near some sort of sewage effluent from water treatment, all of those things would go into my um, decision making on whether it's risky or not. And if it's like yes to any of those, then I think it's, I think it's, um, 
certainly more riskier than than not. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm, I'll stick with. I think that for me, raw oysters, and I agree with Don. I'm, you know, the other thing that we don't do on our podcast, and I think that's been really good about what, what how we approach this is, I wouldn't tell someone don't do this, like don't eat raw oysters. I I think that raw oysters are always risky, um, in in my estimation, because there isn't really a way to control those pathogens. There's always a risk. And for me, being the most risk averse of the two of us, historically based on data, that's where I kind of run, run the line. If someone's gonna you know, eat raw oysters, these are the things that I would think about if it's from my own um, waterfront. But I, 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 do, I think that raw oysters are always carrying some sort of a risk. And I know that they're available and we can reduce the risk. And it's one, and in fact, when we talk about sort of raw milk Amsterdam, I think it's interesting that we regulate some foods that have risk and say, no, you can't eat that and, or drink it. And other foods we say, yep, it's okay to eat this as long as you know that there's a risk. And there's, uh, you know, we won't get into the nuances of that, but, but that's, you know, this is one that I think is risky and I wouldn't look down on people who eat it because we all make our own risk decisions. And speaking of raw milk Amsterdam, you sent me a link to an uh, article from the Baltimore Sun uh, where, where the wire is set. Uh, more than 20 people sickened by sewage-tainted oysters after Maryland failed to warn public of contamination. So Even from their own waterfront um, spots. You may not even know that there's... Uh, um, you know, sewage effluent that's pumped into your uh, water waterfront property. Hey, we're we're here for another three minutes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's after us. We could stay longer. There's a reception. Wow, there's a reception. No, we won't stay in front of that then. <laughs> Hi, my name is Virginia. Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> There's no radio stations anymore where you can say that. <laughs> um, my question is, I have a friend who is a bartender, and two years ago, she made me some grenadine, put it in a three-piece mason jar. I opened it then, made some drinks, and it kind of got hidden away in my refrigerator. So, risky or not? Grenadine, three, okay, let me get, make sure I get the canonical question here. Three-year-old refrigerated grenadine in a mason jar, risky or not? See what I did there? Good job. You're good at this. Well, I'm better at it on live when usually I bumble it when we're actually doing this for real. Um, so what do, you, what do you think? Well, first of all, I have to find out what's grenadine. Um, and it turns out uh, grenadine.com is probably not the place to go to find that out. Um, so I mean, it, you know, so let me, so Ben's going to type and I'm going to talk uh, and, then, and then we'll, we'll switch. Um, and I would say it really depends. So it really depends upon. So there's. So it, is grenadine? Does anybody know? Is grenadine alcoholic? Is there alcohol no. in it? No. I can answer that. Okay. It's not. No. It's like it's a it's a syrup. it's a syrup. Yeah. So I would say, and again, I, I uh, um, yeah. There's a there's a Grateful Dead song. Did, brown, brown eyed women and red grenadine. I don't think that's helpful, but I, that is yeah. what I'm thinking of. Did you? So this is from <laughs> SugarAndSoul.co. Did you actually know that a true, real deal recipe of grenadine is made from pomegranates? People think about it as a cherry syrup. Um, it's derived from the French word grenade, grenade, uh, which means pomegranate. Most store-bought versions are primarily high fructose corn syrup and red dye with artificial flavors, um, but I would assume that this homemade one is maybe a little nicer than, than that, but I would say it's a pretty sugary syrup. Yeah. 
and uh, brown-eyed women, Red Grenadine from the Europe 72 album by the Grateful Dead. There we go. We will link to the YouTube uh, in the notes. But yeah, I mean, so basically, you know, sugar, sugar is your friend. In this case, low water activity is your friend. I Le would say if it's- Lemon juice. Lemon juice, so acidic juice. as well. So I would say, you know, it's the, probably the biggest risk is spoilage. And if it's opened and it's in a mason jar, you know, it might get some yeast, it might get some mold, but if you if you took it out and there's no yeast and there's no mold and it's 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 not cloudy and it smells okay, it's probably okay. According to the always correct internet, the pH of grenadine syrup is as low as 2.3. Yeah, if, based on that and, and just a high um, sugar content, I'm absolutely gonna go with not risky. Um, and maybe it gets a little fizzy with some like um, yeast that's in there that's fermenting over two or three years. But yeah, I'm going, I'm going not risky, but that's a good one. Look, I feel like we just recorded an episode. We're doing we're two, we're double, doing two double podcasts duty here. at once. Two podcasts, we'll throw that on the risky or not. So, but this, this is the, so in, in the risky or not podcast, we have an outro and we know when we get to the end. Um, th this is the podcast where we don't have, a, we have, we have outro music, but we don't really have a way to end it except to say goodbye to each other awkwardly. Awkwardly. That's how we do it. So, um, I think this has been another episode of Food Safety Talk slash Risky or Not. Bye. Bye, bye Don. Bye. bye. Talk to you later. <laughs> bye. 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 You're still here. Still here. <laughs> And uh, if, if everything works as planned, uh, this will be an actual episode yeah. that gets actually posted on the internet. So if you, if you enjoyed it, you can listen to it again. Yeah. And, and, and if not, <laughs> don't listen to it. If not, don't, don't listen, listen to, it, to again. it again. We're not going to tell you what to do. Yeah.